Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim, and I'm the chief editor of The Muslim Vibe. Um, as we have been blessed with um, getting the opportunity to experience the month of Ramadan once again, um, we thought it would be a good idea to reflect on how we can, I guess, best use this month and make the most of it and, and I guess, reap the benefits um, that Allah has given us with this month. So. I thought I obviously can't do this on my own. Um, I would need to sit down with the Sheikh. And um, for those of you that listened to the podcast before, uh, a few months ago, I think it was, um, we sat down with Sheikh Ali Hussein Datu, who is, I guess we can call him now a friend of, of the Muslim Vibe and the Muslim Vibe podcast. Um, he's, he's not smiling right now, so maybe he's not happy with that. But <laughs> I thought I'd sit down with him and just discuss, uh, I guess, Ramadan and... and uh, help me prep and hopefully also um, for, for those of you listening as well an opportunity just to kind of gain a little bit of insight into how we can make the most of the month so Sheikh, Assalamu Alaikum Assalamu Alaikum, Salim, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, thank you for joining us once again um, so I think jumping straight in um, as I said, Alhamdulillah, Ramadan is here once again uh, the first thing I think that comes to mind when we talk about Ramadan especially in the UK at the moment is the incredibly long fast that we have um, and that dominates, at least for me personally, the first kind of week is that struggle of getting used to um, the long fasts and adjusting to, you know, managing workload and everything else and family and finding time for everything. Um, but how do we get beyond that? And, and I, I guess maybe first we should start talking about fasting generally in Islam, because I think there is an importance that's been placed on fasting um, as a recommended act. Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts or insight on on that? Uh, yes, so the Quran is uh, the first place to begin in Surah Baqarah, the most oft-repeated verse regarding fasting, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that fasting was prescribed for communities uh, before us. Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, O you who believe, kutiba alaykum as-siyam, that fasting has been prescribed upon you, kama kutiba alaladheena min qablikum, as it was prescribed for those before, so maybe through this act of fasting, you will become righteous and more God-weary and more God-conscious. So the fact that it's already a prescribed action for those before us show us that there was so much benefit in it that it's continued down the line and to the most, as we believe, to the most perfect and holistic religion, this is a law that has been decreed for us. You have the option to fast, you know, any time throughout the year apart from certain days where it's not permissible. Aside from that, it's a highly recommended act, but then those recommended actions which have extreme amount of benefit, God makes them obligatory. So for this particular month, 29, 30 or days, you and I have to fast because the benefit is so great that Allah wants us to reap it. And with regards to the benefit that we talk about, there's a lot of stuff that people talk about online specifically about the health benefits of fasting from a physical perspective. And there are ways of optimizing and you, know, you should open your fast with certain things and because that kickstarts your metabolism, God knows what. But as I understand it, from an Islamic perspective, obviously there's a physical aspect, but the important thing is also the, the spiritual that transcends the physical. Um, how, how do we, I guess, balance, balance the two? Because w one of the difficulties I find at least is obviously, for me at least, hunger is not the issue. It's the, the physical weakness. I guess that comes with obviously not eating for 17, 18 hours, whatever it is in the UK. Um, but how, how do we find that balance? Uh, 
But obviously it's going to be fatiguing, obviously it's going to sap our energy from us. We're not eating or drinking for a lengthy period of time. Uh, when it comes to breaking the fast, and God has given us an intellect, and if we've progressed in science to allow us to understand what foods are going to be best for us, to give us that kickstart, then by all means we're encouraged to, uh, to utilize the knowledge that we've been able to obtain through our research yeah. as human beings. So yes, by all means, eat what has been advised by uh, those in, the, in that profession, those who understand that knowledge. But aside from that, there are also certain prescriptions and recommendations from the Prophet and, uh, and the successors of the Prophet and his companions, which tell us very importantly and emphasize greatly that we should not fill our stomachs to the brim. It's quite interesting, isn't it, that we, we fast for 16 hours or so, 18 hours. We're meant to then break our fast and after we've broken our fast, now we're meant to gain the energy. By eating now in the night, we should have energy for what's to come in the night. Which indicates to us that God wants us to have more energy in the night time than he wants us to have in the daytime. Hence, we're eating at the night. So as soon as we break our fast, it should now put us into sixth gear for worshipping God through the night. What we find is the quite... <laughs> there he gets me into second gear. <laughs> <laughs> so we break the fast, we get our energy, and as soon as we get our energy, we go to sleep. Yeah. So it contradicts the philosophy of fasting or the spirit of fasting. That God wants you to now gain energy, become more awakened, become... You know, more perceptive now in the night time, but when that does happen to us, the majority will fall asleep. But having said that, in in prophetic times in Arabia, where in a society where everybody's fasting, and and uh, you know, even today in Middle Eastern countries, for example, everyone's fasting. It's easier to kind of, um, I guess, embrace Ramadan in its kind of true spirit. But practically and realistically speaking, we live in the UK. The people that we work with, especially when we work in, in you know whatever company for whatever firm or whatever, we have non-Muslim uh, clients, we have non-Muslim colleagues. They're expecting us to keep up with their workplace, and then so you know waking up early, spending a whole day working like everybody else. The sun loves coming out in Ramadan as well. It's been a bit dreary in London, and you know as soon as Monday Tuesday hits, the sun is there. Um, but. Practically speaking, how do we find that balance? The work balance together with fasting? Yeah. No, but then also like optimizing the night. Sure. So I, I want the listeners to understand that I'm not speaking from, from a theoretical perspective. I, I run my own businesses, so I, I understand the practical side as well. It's not that I'm locked within a library uh, <laughs> and advising people to use the nights. Um, yes, I have early mornings, um, as I, so I understand what it means to work lengthy number of hours running my own business. I understand that work doesn't stop either. Yeah. When you do come back home from work, that's the time where normally we might stay awake, you know, we'd have dinner with the family, play with the kids. Uh, maybe we can utilize that time to take a, a you know, short nap to try and, a majority of us probably do that. We come back from work and we're totally shattered, so we take some rest. It's what's to come after that. So, okay, so we take rest, we become a bit more energized, we break our fast, everyone's in a, in, a, in a bit of a jolly mood now, everyone's a bit more happier. Then, instead of us just going back to sleep, we can spend a bit more of the night. This is not to say that we stay up the whole night. Mm. We stay up the whole night, it's not practical, you're not going to be able to go to work the next morning. But it's about going that extra step for God in this most blessed month. If it means staying up half an hour more than we would, then so be it. If it's somebody young, you know, a, a young man, a young woman who have just begun fasting, half an hour may be even too much of a stretch for them. It might be five minutes, it might be ten minutes. But just to do that little bit more 
for God in this month because of the blessings of this month. It's not an ordinary, ordinary month. It's a month that God has chosen out of all the other months. If you look at the Prophet's sermon at the end of Sha'ban, the last Friday in Sha'ban, it's very, very clear that this month comes with blessings, comes with mercy and forgiveness unlike any other month. To say that Satan will not be affecting you directly in this month like he is in other months is a huge statement, is a weighty statement. To take advantage of this now, we have to make the most of the time we have. Yes, in the daytime we'll be working, we're doing that which is uh, commanded to us by God to go and earn a, uh, you know, a livelihood which is halal and legitimate. We're doing all of that. Or we're bringing up children, we're doing that. But we have to take it a step further. And the best place to do that, as is mentioned in the Quran, is through the nights, utilizing the night that which, that little, yeah. little bit more. So, um, getting, I guess, we're talking practically here. So, what do you, what would you recommend, me personally, um, and maybe, maybe not your most sincere personal <laughs> recommendations for me, but me and the listeners, um, what, what would you recommend uh, focusing on? Because obviously we have dua and supplication, um, extra salah, uh, Quran as well. Um, you know, we've been told and, and the Quran was revealed in the month, uh, in its completion in the month of, of uh, Ramadan. And we'll talk about Laylatul Qadr maybe um, a little bit later on. But what acts would you recommend focusing on and where should our attention be? Because as you said, and I think for me at least um, the last few years when it's come to Ramadan, I always, like you said, try and kind of do a bit more da'a, read a bit more Quran, do something extra, make the most of the nights after having kind of eaten. Um, but sometimes almost like coming in without a strategy or a game plan, it feels a bit futile. Because for example, if I were to spend time reading the Quran, but I don't spend time reading the translation or reading tafsir, then it's kind of like, that I'm sure there is benefit. And I know there is benefit. They're just looking at the words itself as benefit. But how can we kind of optimize and, and maximize the time that we have? So I think the indication to this is within the sermon of the Holy Prophet. So before the month of Ramadan dawned upon him at that time, he gives the sermon, the last Friday in Sha'ban, uh, informing us that we're going to be guests of God in this month. That itself is a huge honor, that God is sending you an invitation to come to his banquet. But his banquet clearly has no food on it. It's not a banquet like you and I would attend. It's a banquet of blessings, mercy and forgiveness. So that indicates to us already that what's available for us without limits in this month are the blessings of God, the mercy of God and his forgiveness, which indicates the first point you mentioned about supplication. Mm. So to seek from God, pray to God. When I say pray, I mean supplicate, you know, raise your hands, go to prostration, speak to God, converse with him, ask from him. That in the most sincere fashion, will have one of the greatest effects within this holy month for us. And again, when I talk about supplication, you know very well, it doesn't simply mean opening up a book to supplicate to God. Opening up a book is normally somebody else's supplication. Here, I'm trying to emphasize on our own personal supplication, our own conversation with God. Sometimes we run out of things to say. It's like when we go to sajda, you know, we finish the prayers and we go and do a sajda to thank God. It's normally a couple of seconds that we just say thanks and we get up. Or if there's a certain a'mal or you know, a vigil that we're doing in the mosques and the imam says, okay, let's supplicate to go to ask for your personal desires, it kind of runs out quite quickly. We don't know what else to ask for. So that shows us we're not habituated to conversing with God. So the first thing that we should emphasize on in this holy month is to speak to God and ask from Him, but from the heart, not necessarily from a book, 
from a book at times, but from the heart mainly. Secondly, the Prophet himself says, so this is before Ramadan dawns again. He says, so ask Allah your Lord to give you a sound body. That should be done before Ramadan. Ask God for a healthy body to see through this month of Ramadan. And an enlightened heart. Now why do you need an enlightened heart? What are you going to do in this month? What's coming down in this month that you need an enlightened heart in order to be receptive for it? Obviously the Quran. So he goes on to say, so you may be able to fast and recite his book. The recitation of God's book, again, is one of the most emphasized actions in this holy month. Like you said, it's not just about reading the Arabic, that has benefit. But the main benefit will become in when we begin to study this book. Maybe it means just going through a verse or two, going onto YouTube, searching for some tafsir of the Quran, listening to you know 10 minute video, mm. listening to a bite size, listening to a half an hour video and do it with your family. Don't have to do it by yourself. If you and your spouse can do it or you and your children can do it, if they're of an age of understanding, then do it collectively. Make it a habit. Sometimes we go to mosque every night in Ramadan. We're there to seek knowledge. So read the Quran, not only in Arabic, read its translation, but try and go a bit, you know, that step further than the translation. If you can't, that translation is good enough. Read the translation and just think about it. We have uh, traditions from the, the Prophet and his family and companions telling us that the Quran is a conversation with God. If you want to converse with God, if you want to listen to his words, then you open the Quran. He's speaking to you. You're not speaking to him here. He's mm. speaking to you. So open the book, read the translation and ask yourself, what is he trying to tell me? Why is he saying what he's saying? How is that relevant to my life today? Can I ask a quick question on this? Is it too late to try and begin having these conversations with Allah and with the Quran in Ramadan? I, I feel like um, sometimes we, we turn up and it's like Hajj as well. I remember I went for Hajj a few years back and people talk about preparing for Hajj before you get there. So that it's a case of you're ready when you arrive. Not that, okay, you, you arrive in Mecca and then, or Medina and suddenly you're like, okay, I need to get all spiritual. Um, is it too late in Ramadan? It is never too late to go back to God. There are no time limits. There are no prerequisites. The only prerequisite here is to go back to Him sincerely. But what I what I mean is, in terms of maximizing the month, I, I know it's probably too late for this Ramadan. It definitely is too late for this Ramadan. We're here, but um, talking about next year, at what point do you start preparing? How do you start preparing? Because I think. Sometimes this kind of stuff seems overwhelming. We can do the basics. Allah says fast. From you know, sunrise to sunset, easy, I can do that. Don't eat, don't drink, don't tell a lie, whatever. Although the lying bit, obviously people struggle with the other elements sometimes about trying to be in that state of fasting. And actually, I'll probably ask you about that hadith when I, when I finally give you a chance to speak. The, the hadith that we were speaking about afterwards um, with regards to like if, if all you leave with is an empty stomach, I think that's... Um, it's not something that's quite pertinent. But as I said, I, I feel like sometimes it feels very overwhelming um, as an individual who's, you know, nine to five, running around, family, friends, socializing, whatever. Then all of a sudden Ramadan is here and we want to be more religious. We want to kind of be inclined and we, uh, people do spend a lot of time in the mosque, for example. But you'll always kind of see somebody else that almost seems better prepared because whilst we've been sort of faffing around watching football with our friends and going out to restaurants and stuff. They're out there in the mosques, reading Quran, you know, going for Jummah, all of that kind of stuff. How, and again, this is not for this year, but in future, how do we kind of better prepare and, I guess, space it out? And also post-Ramadan, how do we continue the, 
what we've started. So you've asked like 10 I've questions. I've asked a lot of questions and I've asked you to, to pull out a hadith as well. So good luck. All right. I'll just stop talking for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> the first thing that I would politely object to is thinking about how to prepare for next Ramadan. We have no guarantee that we're going to be alive to next, for next Ramadan. So leave next Ramadan aside. I accept your objection. Okay. So the Prophet, just uh, on a side note, the Prophet has an inter- interesting tradition where he puts a morsel of food in his mouth and he says, I'm not even certain that I'll be able to swallow this morsel of food. We can't prepare for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well, let's look at the now and what we have at our fingertips. This Ramadan, yes, obviously, those who started preparing earlier will be at a slight advantage in that they're all, maybe they have the correct mindset now. You know, maybe they already have their bodies ready to, to stay up in the nights. They've made some sort of schedule for themselves. They've pondered about it. They've thought about it. That's fine. But that's them. And they'll go into their own graves. Let's worry about us here. So if I'm not prepared for this Ramadan, I shouldn't start thinking, you know, not this Ramadan, maybe next next time. Let's see what I can do now. I can start. I can start from now, from tonight. I can start pondering about God. I can start asking Him for forgiveness. I can start being wary of my limbs whilst fasting. This uh, tradition that you mentioned, that you alluded to, was from the daughter of the Holy Prophet, Fatima, peace be upon him. She says, what is the fasting person doing with his fast if he is not guarding his tongue, his hearing, his sight, and his limbs? And again, the Prophet talks about it in a bit more detail in this sermon of Ramadan. He talks about what you should be doing in this month, not simply staying away from food and, and water. The limbs have to fast as well. The eyes have to fast from what they're, what they're looking at, that which may be forbidden. The ears have to fast. You know, the senses, all of them have to fast in order for you to heighten this experience of fasting and gain maximum benefit. We know from different scholars of ethics that there are different levels to the fast. The most base level is staying away from food and water. This in and of itself removes you and I from an animalistic state to a more divine state to what we might call an angelic state. It's the animals that are just having relations with one another. It's the animals that don't think about you know, a spiritual state. It's the animals which are eating whenever they're hungry. We're staying away from that in this 18 hours. Why? So that we can remove our souls from this animalistic state where we're just filling our stomachs to a more angelic state, to a more divine state. The Prophet then goes on to say, you know what, you also need to be careful of the orphans. Go and look after the orphans specifically in this month. Go and show compassions to the orphans of others. Be careful of your blood relations. Make sure you go and make up with the next of kin and the blood relations if you've cut off from them. These are all the things that you and I need to do in order to heighten this experience. So the base level is staying away from food. The second level of the fast is of you and I protecting our limbs, making sure that we don't fall into sin. There's no point staying away, from fa- staying away from food and water, fasting, and then going and sinning and lying. What you will realize is as soon as you stay away from food, the rest of your senses become more um, heightened and you become much more God conscious. In the month of Ramadan, you are 10 times, if not more, conscious about God than in other times. Yeah. Yes, it has to do with the blessings of the month. But at the same time, it has to do with staying away from food. Hunger is such a cat, great catalyst to getting closer to God. When the Prophet went from Araj, this ascension that we celebrate, when Allah was speaking to him, God says to him, O oh Muhammad, O oh Ahmed, do you know there are, there are two states where an individual is most closest to me? Do you know when a servant is more closest, most closest to me? The Prophet says, no. 
Allah replies and says, one, when he's in a state of hunger, and two, when he's in prostration. Both of these can be acted upon in this holy month. Imagine if you put them both together, that you're hungry and you're prostrating. But mm-hmm. hunger heightens that awareness of God. Hence, before we lie, or God forbid, after we lie, straight away we think about it. Before we look at something we're not meant to look, or as soon as we look at it, we quickly turn away, or our ears, we bend them over. Why? Because we're heightened in our understanding of God, in our consciousness that He's around us and watching us. So the most basic level is staying away from food, but that's a stepping stone to stop, stop us to, to be animalistic. And then we move a step further, and then our limbs. The final stage of fasting, or the greatest stage of fasting, is ensuring no thoughts enter this heart aside from God. And that's much more difficult, and it's known as the fast of the elite of the elite, according to some scholars. And they break their fast, or their fast breaks, by thinking about other than God. Interestingly, uh, one particular scholar, uh, he speaks about how when you're fasting, these elite individuals, when they're fasting, they don't even think about what they're going to break their fast with. Because that's taking them away from thinking of the fast. You know, many times when we're fasting, we're thinking, what are we going to have for food? Or whoever's cooking in the house will ask, what should we cook today? And already... We can taste the food before it even, you know, before it's cooked or as soon as we sit on the dinner table. This shows us that fasting is not meant to be a, an act that you and I are continuously thinking about food. Not only think about food, think about what we're going to eat during the fast as well. And they go a step further and say, you shouldn't even be thinking about longing to break your fast. Those individuals who complain about long fast, those individuals who complain about, you know, being too lethargic during fasting, not having the energy, these complaints... They take you away from the spirit of the fast. Hmm. Yes, obviously it's going to be taxing and difficult, but a lot of worship is taxing and difficult. It's not easy to go for Hajj. You know, there's so many, there's millions of people doing Tawaf on the day of Hajj. It's it's extremely difficult. But God wants you to go through that difficulty. He wants to see you in His obedience. His obedience is not relaxing on a beach. His obedience is making sure that you use your limbs and your mind in order to worship Him to the best of your ability. That's when, when you go through difficulty, like the Quran says, in the Asri Yusra, after difficulty comes ease. So if we look at the fast through a different lens, we look at it as us obeying God and being obedient to Him. I'd just like to mention this one point. You know, sometimes we don't understand the, the logic or the reasoning behind certain prescribed actions. And we think we can do better. For example, someone might say, if I'm a traveler, I have to shorten my prayers according to the, the edicts that I, I mentioned by jurists so this is what god wants that i should shorten my prayers but you know what i'm traveling and i've got the energy and traveling today is not the same as the traveling at time of the prophet and i'm at ease it's not difficult i'm going to pray for you know for the instead of shortening it without knowing the precise reason why god revealed that particular law what you and i are trying to do is be disobedient to god obedience to god doesn't mean doing more than what he's asked for Obedience to God means listening to what He wants from you and doing what He wants. You know, if your child wants a gift, you give the child what the child wants. You don't give the child what you want. That's not a gift. They're not going to be pleased with that. In the same way, God makes a prescription, even if we don't understand it. Yes, we're putting aside contextualization right now, understanding the reasoning behind laws. If there's a law that you agree is a law of God, there's a reason behind it. Not the physical action. He doesn't want the physical action by itself. Mm. That's just a shell. What he wants is the spirit within that. That spirit is obedience. When it comes to the fast, 18 hours is long. Agreed. Yeah. But if you can physically take it on, obviously the women who are pregnant 
uh, old individuals, you know, people who are frail, very young individuals, people who are traveling. There's so many exclusions, people who are ill. It's only for the healthy, fit individuals who can't take it upon themselves. They are prescribed to fast. Then they should do it without, the com- you know, without this complaining nature. Because that's when you'll taste the true benefits of a fast. I think the, you mentioned it a couple of times, uh, the spirit of fasting or the spirit of ibadah or actions that we do for Allah. Um, that's something that I find very interesting because again, and, and not wanting to kind of judge people or anything like that, but you, you kind of see um, people embrace, and we'll take Ramadan and obviously fasting as the primary example, but you see people embrace um, uh, fasting in very different ways. So there are people who, who it's, it's just a body fast. It's just no water, no food, that's it. And as soon as it breaks, they're kind of back in and, and everything else with it. But the, that's, as you mentioned, and you know the hadith that you mentioned as well, that's not the spirit of Ramadan. That's not the spirit of fasting. The whole point is that there's meant to be an elevation and, and a heightening of our moral senses. Um, I think I'm going to maybe trademark that term. I like it. Um, but there's a heightening of our, of, our, of our morality, of everything. And as you said, you're very conscious of every little thing that you do. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the beauty of it. And what I did want to kind of talk about afterwards, I guess, is, and again, this is my own personal experience, is that the beginning, I'm kind of acclimatizing to um, the, the rhythm of fasting and of Ramadan and everything. And then slowly as time goes on, obviously, we get to the, the second half of the month and the last 10 nights. Um, and, and, you know, we have narrations talking about the night of Qadr, the night of the night that the Quran was revealed, um, the night that we believe is better than a thousand nights when it comes to ibadah and supplication. It's highly recommended to stay up all night. But I find myself more, um, I guess, able and ready to embrace those nights um, if I've had a productive first half of the month. So if, if my fast is not just a body fast, because as I said, you look at 1.6 billion Muslims around the world, everybody has the same fast. Everybody's going hungry. But people leave the month with very different levels of, of uh, let's call it enlightenment or whatever, you know, upliftment of the spirit or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, it's difficult, but I guess I feel like the, the process of fasting is softening our hearts because obviously this, this is you know, this, uh, taking us away from the animalistic and as you said, bringing us closer to the angelic, which I've never heard, but I really like the way you, you put it. Um, and then come these, these amazing nights where you know, we stay up all night in the mosque and we, we pray to God and we supplicate and we do all of these things. Um, again, I, I'll ask you a similar question. How do we make the most of those nights? I know, for example, charities is highly recommended in those nights and throughout the whole month of Ramadan. Um, but what changes? And, and, and I mean, what is the night of Qadr, I guess? Again, 10 questions in one. Yeah, son, you're making this. <laughs> we have to put some rules before we do the next podcast. <laughs> next time we'll have, don't worry. <laughs> so night of Qadr, as we know, is, a, is the night where the greatest book was revealed to the greatest prophet in the greatest of months on the greatest of nights to the greatest part of the to the greatest part of a human being the Quran says that God revealed this Quran onto the Prophet's heart which shows us that leave aside the physical side the, the most enlightened part of your body the part that God treasures the most or is given the greatest value to is one's heart and that's why traditions tell us that the heart is the sanctuary of God 
So do not allow anything to take an abode within this sanctuary apart from God. So all of these things came together on this specific night. Our religion was given on this night. The Quran is the basis of our religion. Even if we have traditions, every tradition actually that we go to verify, we always cross-check it against the Quran because that is the basis and the foundation. That's the word of God. That's the one that's not fabricated. That's the one that's a holistic book that encompasses the books that have come before of the Torah and the Injil, Zabur, etc. So when we look at this night, it's a night of power as is mentioned in the Quran, a night which is better than a thousand months. We have to take advantage of it. And correctly, as you mentioned, preparation is always a good stepping stone. If we don't prepare for the night, just like we said about Ramadan, if we don't prepare for Ramadan, we're not going to make the most of it. Yeah. But we, we're here now, so let's just try and work with what we have. The nights of Qadr, we still got time to prepare for it. How can we prepare for it? Well, the night of Qadr, if it was about the heart of the Prophet, it's about your heart and my heart as well. It's not about making sure that we can stay up the whole night, but have a dead heart. Nothing's going to happen if the heart's dead on that night. And even if you stay up a little, but your heart is alive, great things are going to happen. So on the night of Qadr, by the night of Qadr, we have to have purified this heart that bit more, opened it out that much more, the windows of the heart, so that more light can penetrate through it. How do we do that? The, the key is morality. The key is ethics. All, the, all these actions that are prescribed to us, they're about making us human beings, real human beings, moral individuals, not making us animalistic. These are the two um, polar sides that we have. We've got being animalistic on one side or we've got being human being on the other. We're trying to become true human beings. So if throughout the next few days that we have at our disposal before these nights of power come about or the night of power comes about, we have to... Prophet says, give charity. Fine, we can start with charity, sincere charity. Give our time. Uh, next of kin, if we, no, no, not next of kin, but relatives. If we have relatives that we've cut off away from, you know, people we don't speak to, there have been some problems in the family, this person doesn't speak to that person, I don't speak to this one, make up before the night of Qadr comes about. How can I turn to God wanting Him to build a relationship with me when I'm cutting off relationships with other people? You know, how can I ask him for forgiveness when I'm not ready to forgive somebody else? So before that night comes, let us change our attitude with people, with the creation around, and then we can go to the Creator himself. That's with regards to creation. With regards to the Creator, many, many of us might have, for example, prayers that we have to repay. You know, we didn't pray when we were young, maybe. We've got to repay. doesn't mean we've got to do them all before the night of Qadr. But let's at least take a step. Let's say I haven't repaid a prayer in years. Maybe repay one day's prayer. It's not going to be too difficult. Repay one day prayer. Tell God that, look, this is my stepping stone to you. I'm trying to get closer to you. Mm. This is the proof. The proof is in the action here. It start going towards the Quran. These things enlighten one's heart. And when you and I open our hearts that much more on the night of Qadr, when it comes about, we'll supplicate to God. We'll do certain vigils. I need to emphasize here that we shouldn't do a checkbox vigil on the night of Qadr. You know, sometimes this happens that we've We've read certain articles or we've read certain books that tell us on the night of power, these are the actions that have been prescribed or these are the actions that are highly recommended. And we sit there, you know, we recite istighfar, we do recite some sort of repentance to God a thousand times, a hundred times, and our heart's not in it. Or we recite lengthy supplications from books that we don't understand. You know, as soon as you start a supplication, when you start looking at how many pages are left, you know that it, it you know, game over. Yeah. Right? It Check beforehand is a, is a tip. Hmm? You should check before. <laughs> so you know what you're getting yourself into. The, the mentality that we have is that if I start a prayer, I got to finish it. You know, a supplication from a book. You don't mm -hmm. have to. 
read a page of it. That's enough. Understand it. I, I was actually going to ask about about quality versus quantity, and I think also like in for me at least the experience that I've had in Ramadan is is the same thing where sometimes I go in obviously with the best of intentions but trying to do too much and it's too much of a jump from the day before Ramadan where I was doing none of this stuff and then keeping that up is very difficult so likewise with with um, the nights of Qadr and the last 10 nights of Ramadan I feel like for me personally it's as you mentioned about trying to focus on doing maybe fewer things but doing them with complete ikhlas and complete you know purity of heart rather than saying okay i've done this and i've done this and i've done this and i've prayed this salah this many times and and whatever else so um no i'm, I'm glad uh, you made that point also in congregation you know we have good emphasis within our communities and mosques yeah to do acts of worship in congregation this is highly recommended that you know all the, the prophets have emphasized doing things in congregation praying together but that has its time and place so in the month of Ramadan, especially on these nights or the night of power, yes, there's a time and place where we do things in the most collectively. But we must, we must spend time alone. Just intimately, you and God. Mm. Spend time alone to converse with Him, to speak with Him, to cry, to open your heart out. That, that is where a lot of benefit comes that sometimes we neglect. We think if I go to the mosque and I do the prayers, that's good enough. You know, some will go and they'll recite taraweeh, some will go and they'll pray different prayers in the mosque, pray the qada prayers all together in congregation and I think I'm done and I come back home. That's not, that's a part of it. Honestly, true, true benefit will come when you spend time, an allotted time with congregation. Mm. Even if the program continues, you can leave, do something in congregation, but then spend a lot of time with yourself and God intimately. And if you get tired, you don't have to sit there okay, and do lengthy prayers if you're tired. You can sim- simply take a tasbih, you know, you know, or even without a tasbih, just do dhikr, just remember God's names. Thank Him. I think thanking Him is one thing that you cannot get bored of. Thank Him and just remind yourself of all the blessings that are coming your way on a daily basis. I think that's uh, very sound advice. Um, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, this has been very helpful in terms of providing an overview obviously we started by looking at um the very practical side talking about fasting um and how you balance i guess work life social all that kind of stuff and and obviously you mentioned that you yourself um run your own business and and understand the struggles i think often as well when when we hear sheikhs talking about uh ramadan and and ibadah generally that the impression is that they just sit as you said locked up in a library all day um, and then they come to the mosque, they give a lecture, they go back to the library and that's about it. But um, I, I know obviously you work and, and a lot of people uh, listening to this will... will um, yeah, I, I think there's work that needs to be done. And the thing for me about Ramadan is that coming into it, it's, 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 it's a challenge from a physical perspective. And I think, you know, the balancing all of that kind of stuff. But I, I don't want to miss out personally on, on the spiritual element to it as well. Um, which is difficult, especially considering how short the nights are and how already my Saturdays and Sundays and Fridays are getting booked up slowly and it leaves less and less time for, as you mentioned, the, the, the best form of ibadah, which is that intimacy between you and Allah, kind of one-to-one um, in supplication and prayer and whatever else it might be, thanking God as well. Um, so this has been very helpful. 
Any final remarks? You look like you want to say something. I want to mention three things, if that's okay. Very three? Good. Yeah, three. So Can I give you two? Yeah. No, you can't give me three. <laughs> um, Go on, first, three. Is, as you mentioned right now, that things are getting booked up. You know, people are inviting us over to the houses to, to break our fast with them. One thing we have to be careful of in this month is we can't waste time. There's a time for socializing, but we, know, we need to know when the cutoff point is. There's no point sitting up all night, you know, watching... A, you know, I don't know, a football match with the friends over iftar and then sitting up and people smoking shisha and people lounging around and having fun. There's a time and place for that. Ramadan nights, not the time to, to waste time. You know, socialize, yes, but know your limits. As soon as that gathering is not taking you closer to God, then it's about time that we leave that gathering. Or we set a time, look, I'm going to go iftar at someone's house, I'm going to stay two hours and I'm going to leave so that we don't waste time. But what we don't want is the nights go by and then we realize at the end of Ramadan, if only I had done that, bitch mu- that much more because I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm going to be alive for next Ramadan. Firstly. Secondly, now you've made me forget my second point. Uh, yes, give, secondly. Give me secondly, <laughs> secondly, we have to be very careful that we give a very good impression of our religion in everything that we do. I remember being in, when we were young in school and we had to do cross, cross-country runs. And if it was Ramadan, we get a note from the parents saying that, you know, my son is fasting, so we can't... Ramadan lasted four months in my school. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know, so I just keep adding them the same letter. (laughs) I'm not going to condone such a... (laughs) (laughs) So so you get a a letter from the parents saying, you know, cross-country is going to get tired, X, Y, Z, we're fasting, it's Ramadan. That's okay, okay, because obviously the teachers would need to know why the child can't do certain activities. But in our workplace... You know, as adults, fully grown adults who are going out to work, we will be a bit more tired, but we cannot use Ramadan as an excuse. We need to give a good impression of our religion. As soon as we say, you know what, I'm getting really tired, I'm fasting, it's really long fast, it's Ramadan, I don't want to do this particular work, X, Y, Z. You begin to give a bad impression of the religion. You know, I I work in construction, I know how difficult we're outside in the sun. It's not an easy task. But you cannot use religion as an excuse where it's going to give religion a bad impression. And finally, this most beautiful tradition where God says, fasting is for me and I am its reward. Multitude of actions God prescribes, but he says the reward for this is that. Reward for for, going for hajj is this. The reward for giving sadaqah or giving charity is this. When it comes to fasting, he doesn't mention a limited reward he says fasting is for me because you're not doing for anyone else i can't tell if you're fasting right now it's an action between you and god that nobody can tell you're doing unless you come out and say it. so until you boast about it nobody knows or until you inform me nobody knows fasting is solely for god and because you're doing it solely for god he himself is going to be its reward meaning he cannot even mention to you words cannot describe the reward that is set for an individual who fasts sincerely for the sake of God. So I think we're in one of the best positions we could be in. We're hungry. We can use the nights. They're short. You know, we don't stay up the whole night. We can use the nights, even a bit of it. The lengthy fast in the day, hot fast. You know, there's the ahadith tell us that there's more benefit for the individual who does a fast in the summer days. So everything's negative. From one angle, you look at it, it's all negative. But everything from a different perspective it's all positive, positive so long as we look at it you know as the, the glass half film no that, that's fantastic thank you and, and uh, I, I forgot about that um, 
that particular angle of of just our fasts being the one action that we have in Islam that it's not visible, because whether it's a sister wearing the hijab, a brother you know keeping a beard, even praying. If someone walks in the room while you're praying, they see you praying. As you said, when you're walking on the streets, everyone could be fasting or no one could be fasting. You wouldn't know. Um, and, and I guess that's the beauty of it. And obviously Allah re- rewards it um, as such. I think that's probably the best place to stop. Um, Sheikh, once again, thank you very much for My thank you. taking part in the podcast. And I apologize if I have uh, been disrespectful, spoken too much. You, you'll tell me afterwards. You're very polite on the podcast. And afterwards I get an earful, but that's fine. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> but no, it is, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm glad, I'm glad we were able to have a... It's much better than these monologues we tend to have in the mosques. Yeah, that's why. But that's why I wanted to do this because also I sometimes I hear some, I, you hear someone talking um, in the mosque, a sheikh or whatever, and at some point they go down a tangent that you don't fully get, and you can't bring them back and be like, no, listen, this stuff you're talking about was interesting. Can you talk more about that? And then by the end of it, you're just on your phone, or at least I am. Um, you you're usually the one giving the talk, so you can't be on your phone. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you very much. And um, yeah, to our listeners, uh, we hope you have a productive Ramadan. And if you get any benefit from this podcast, then please feel free to share it with your friends. Um, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well. Uh, any feedback or thoughts or suggestions for topics going forward, feel free to email myself on salim at the muslim vibe.com. Um, and yeah, that's it. Uh, Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.